Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the writer strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. Making movies is hard, but casting for your movie doesn't have to be. With Casting Calls America, you can post your open roles for free in over 30 local markets nationwide. And when you post your roles, they will automatically post to IMDb Pro to get even more eyes on your project. All actor submissions are delivered to your user-friendly dashboard, making your casting process easy. You can even search our actor databases and invite actors you're interested in to audition to your project. Actors pay a small monthly fee and have all open roles delivered to their inbox each day. Get your project started today. It's casting made easy at castingcallsamerica.com. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital and Tubi. And I'm Eric Toms, a writer-director whose first film, Bakersfield Noir, will be out later this year. This week, we welcome producer David Lawson Jr. to the show to talk about producing indie features, his process as a producer, and what he looks for in a project. After that, we play another round of The Game. But first, Ulrich, how you doing? All right. Hanging in there. Lots of things happening in my life. Big job that happens basically from now till Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I have a, my my good good friend's wedding is this weekend on Saturday. Oh. So I'm taking, so I'm supposed to work over the weekend, but I'm taking that Saturday off and then someone is filling in and I'm going back to work on Sunday. And then my vacation starts on Thursday next week. So I'm like racing towards that vacation as fast <laughs> as I possibly can. I cannot wait to be gone. It's going to be amazing. So yeah, so that's kind of what's going on. I had a really interesting thing happen where my my distributor emailed me last week and was like, hey, we have a claim against the alternate. What? From, you know, the digital release. You know, can you verify it? Like, this is what, this is the company, this is what they're saying. And they there was no time codes or anything. So I was like, what? Like, what? There's like, the whole movie is a 100% original music. Like, there's no moments of unoriginal music there's like a couple things that we might have pulled from here or there like tiny little things but like nothing big so i was Uh like what is this memento like music group media tracks what's going on here and then i got the time code and i checked it and yeah it was a part of the original score so i was like okay and so then i went to the composer i was like yo does this mean anything to you? And he was like, oh, yeah, that's actually my publisher. Uh-oh. And so they must not have known that I licensed this track to this movie or that it's the original music for the movie or something. So let me just get in touch with them and whatever. And then, you know, a couple emails later, they were, they retracted it. But it was like a totally a scary moment. Like, like God wow. damn, like, what's, people are coming after me. What's going on here? <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. God damn. <laughs> I would also, I would wonder too, like, how would the, just like this random publishing group end up finding a random film? Like, is are they just looking at all movies? Is that their deal? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they have algorithms that search, you know, or AI bots that do that. I'm not, I'm not wow. sure. But yeah, it was interesting. And I, I mean, I, there's other things that are far more egregious in the movie that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> I could actually be concerned about, but um you know, like, thankfully it wasn't that. There's actually one, there's one piece of music. Oh, which, no, don't, don't say anything. Don't give the lawyers any fodder, man. Don't. <laughs> there's one piece of music that I was going to put in, but I took out last second. Oh, so okay, it's good. definitely not in the movie. So good, I was going to say. Good. Okay. So, yeah, definitely nothing in there. 
So yes, yeah, so that was going on there, man. Right before we started doing these these segments, even even with my massive amount of work that I've had, I had been writing recently, which was great. And then I had a dream about my movie that I was writing, and it was like half a dream about another movie, but then it was like my movie, and I was like, oh my god, I feel so inspired to do this, and I have had like no time to write, you know, at all, and it's been really tough. Yeah, you know, because I'm I'm also like you know, doing some other things for the baby and getting ready and stuff. And so it's like, I just, you know, I don't really have, there's like, by the time I'm finished working, which is usually like between nine and 10, like there's no time for anything else besides to just relax, you know? Granted, I take a little time to be with my daughter and usually, you know, so like, it's not like I'm working straight till 10, but it does, it kind of feels like that <laughs> most of the time. Well, do, what, are you, a, are you a morning person? Do you get up early at all? I mean, I get up when my, I get up at seven generally. I try to get up at six to start to like do some stuff before the kid wakes up. But like she, like we like to get her up at seven, although she would sleep in to like eight or even nine sometimes if we let her, but we like try to keep her on her schedule. So yeah, but no, I, I mean, I feel like I'm at times a morning person, but if I go to bed too late, it just doesn't work out. So like lately I've been going to bed like much later than I want to. Like I want to go to bed around 11, 1130. I've been going to bed between like 1130 and 1230, sometimes even one, depending on like what I have to do. And so then it's like, oh, it's a miracle if I can get up at seven, if I go to bed after after midnight, yeah. you know, so. I am I am uh, very much a night owl because, I mean, I was a stand-up comedian. I was a touring comic for so long. And like you just, yeah. the earliest you're getting to bed is, you know, one o'clock in the morning. But I have found when it comes to writing, my best writing is in the morning, usually when I'm by myself. And so if you can, if you can do that switch over to being a, a morning person, you might be able to get up before the rest of the household and, and eke out a couple of pages. Yeah, and, I, and I, I have. I've had like really good success doing that. Like when I'm not like overwhelmed with work, like I, I can get up between six and six thirty regularly and like work out and the working out is like what I normally do in that time. But like what I was, I'm working with Clinton Corn, Cornwell, listener of the show. He's kind of helping me. He's like a creative, you know, coach, I guess, or creative therapist or something. I don't know what you want to call him. <laughs> But yeah, well, we're doing these sessions. He's been kind of helping me. And the thing that I want to get to on my regular schedule is to like, you know, get up at six, six thirty and work out and then do that like four days a week. And then like one day a week, don't work out, but like write instead. So like that I'm always getting up at like six, six thirty. But then sometimes I'm writing, you know, other times I'm, I'm, you know, going to the, to my little home gym. So that's like yeah. my my life goal, which I think will happen like once this job is over. But then when the baby's born, it'll go away again. Yeah, and then yeah. maybe it'll come back. We'll see. Give yourself five years; you'll be you'll be back in that, no problem. What, one last thing I want to talk about on Saturday, I was on another podcast. Oh, whoa! What podcast yeah. were you on? I got invited to be on this show called Around the Real, and Aaron Carlson, who is one of the hosts of the show, there's like three hosts. It's amazing. It's really fun. Wow. They've been doing it. They've like up to uh, up to episode 176, I think. So they've been doing it for like three years, a little over three years. And Aaron found us because of the alternate. He like I don't know where he how he found the alternate crowdfunding campaign, but he was like a, he was a backer of the of the campaign. Oh wow! And he found the podcast, and then he says he's been following it, you know, and and my work since then. And so we talked a lot about the movie, and we talked a lot about podcast and. Yeah, it was just really fun to geek out with these guys. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Their <laughs> podcast is really cool. It's really fun. It's very different than ours. It's so much more like loosey goosey and like, you know, fun and like off the cuff and stuff. But yeah, around the reel, check those guys out. Really cool. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the rest of the Chuck, I think was the other guy's name. And then I, oh man, I can't remember the woman's name right now. 
Ah, terrible. Oh, terrible. that's okay, because everyone's going to go ahead and check out the podcast, and then they'll be able yeah. to like and subscribe and all that good stuff as well. Yeah, but they're all filmmakers, and they and they had like some of the guests on that we've had. like They had uh, Alok Mishra on the show. Oh, wow. And they had Jay Horton on the show a couple times, you know, and so they're like mm-hmm. kind of like thinking about the Jay Horton mentality of like making like a lot of movies and like trying to, to you know, pay the bills by having like a nice library that they, um, you know, are, are pushing out into the world. So, yeah, it was cool. It was really fun just to like geek out with some other independent filmmakers for an hour, um, even though it was <laughs> on a Saturday night. But still, it was really, really fun. So, yeah. But what, what's going on with you, Eric, man? What's going What's new? What's what's the haps? What's the word? So, so much. One, I had COVID last week. So I, <laughs> I, I got, I was lucky in the regards that it wasn't bad. It was like, you know, I had a bit of a sore throat for a day, but then after five days, I tested negative and was able to come out of my, you know, hibernetic chamber. But it was just me watching a million movies and I watched so many fantastic films and hung out in bed and it was great. The, the thing that has been difficult, though, is my composer for my film, Bakersfield Noir, and also my sound designer have sent me their files. They're all finished, and I just need to QC it. And I have watched the film so many times, and every time I watch myself and my performance, because I'm also the star of it, I can watch for about 45 seconds to a minute at a time before I have to hit pause and just scream into a pillow. And so I... it's. Even though the guys delivered well before their uh, uh, their deadline, I still have just been sitting on it because I just don't want to look at me any more than I have to. And so there is, there is a side of me that's like, I'm sure it's fine. I'm just going to throw it all together and give it over to the, the, the sound mixer and then the editor and then we're done. Because I'm, I'm so close to the end at this point. I'm, I'm just a few weeks away and then, and then we'll be finished with the movie. And I can't wow, wait for that amazing. part to be done. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm very excited, but also that'll probably require me watching it more, which is uh, which I've discovered is my kryptonite. So, I, I, well, I, yeah. The next the next movie that I make will not be starring Eric Toms. He may have a no. small part in it, but no, I will not be I will not be starring in it. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. I could never do that to myself. I mean, I I've been in my own projects when I was younger and stuff and I've like been in movies, but like yeah, I just I I don't want to do that, you know? Like I think there's so many better actors than me. <laughs> it's tough because I mean, like not to toot my own horn, like when I'm in my proper lane, I'm a very good actor, you know, as, as long as I'm doing stuff that is the I the kind of a emotional uh, uh, reaches that I can can I can, that I can hit I'm in a good place but having said that it's everything surrounding it so it's you know the position of the camera and the choice of the lighting and also the wardrobe and the props like I mean like I was responsible for everything and so it's it's not like I can blame somebody for something else it's like any mistake or any problem that I have with it it's it's because of me and so it's just so much and acting on top of it also of course is is it's a lot so but yeah. uh, but having said that the the upside of that is that i'm gonna have a finished movie in a couple of weeks so that's that's super cool nice that's awesome man are you, you're gonna take it on the road that's your plan right like uh, do you have any pieces in place for that yet or are you gonna no. submit to any film festivals or are you just gonna not do that at all like i i think I think I'm going to I'll submit to some film festivals just to kind of get my name out there to some programmers. I doubt that I'll make very many. I may be surprised as a result of it. You know, I've had uh, there was a, a, a short that I produced called A Mind Cannot Touch that was written and directed by uh, one of my besties, a guy named Jeff Prather. 
And we've had a fantastic festival run. And so at this point, I've been to a couple of places. And also because of this show, there's a couple of very nice programmers like Mr. Paul Sloop, who know me. So I could certainly send it to them. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm very proud of this movie. I made it for $1,000. But at the end of the day, it still, it looks like a $1,000 movie. So I don't expect to win any awards. More than anything, I wanted this to be, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, like a, an, an educational uh, endeavor. Like, I really wanted to learn, like, you know, what do I need to make a film? What do you not need to make a film? Where is there fat that you can trim? Where are there things that you absolutely cannot get rid of whatsoever? And I learned a ton. So that was fantastic. But having said that, I, yeah, I don't expect it to win any awards. And I think taking it on tour is also going to be another learning experience. How do you, how do you make an independent film an event rather than just something that you put on a streamer and you, you hope that people find or you fill out, you know, uh, Facebook ads, you know, kind of directing it to that particular way. But, you know, what is some alternative ways that I could potentially make money or get this out into get this out to the greater public? So so we'll see. But uh, but I'm not there yet. And part of it is procrastination. Part of it is just general fear. But we'll be done here very soon. And and I am looking forward to that. Nice, man. That's awesome. Well, congratulations again. Um, It is a it's an incredible endeavor to make a movie. And I feel like. My next movie, I might end up doing something similar, not not like a thousand dollars necessarily or not like, you know, me in it. But like mm-hmm. I have this vision. I look out my window every day and my 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 house and my neighborhood and my town is so beautiful and interesting and varied. Like Vallejo has a lot of different looks to it. I think there's definitely a world where I could make a movie in my own backyard. And it'd be really cool and I could like schedule it in a way where it doesn't like ruin my life and I could do it in chunks and pieces. I could sleep in my own bed at night every night. I just, that is what I'm trying to figure out. So the the movie I'm writing right now, I think could actually be that potentially. It would just be like, there'd be a lot to figure out because it's it's a science fiction movie. Sure. But like, I, you know, I think about that guy, Agato, you know, who did that in Vegas and it's just like. I can do that. Like, there's warehouses here. I can find a warehouse. I can build some sets. You know, I can, I can scrap it all together. Let's let's go. You know. So I would say as well, the Wes Anderson film, the the Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu. The the majority of the sets were built in an abandoned Best Buy. So oh, like, even films that are like at that kind of level are still yeah, they're still looking for unique spaces where it's just like if you just have a lot of room, you can make a soundstage out of that. So absolutely, I'm sure Vallejo's got uh, got a Best Buy that struggled at some point and closed. Yeah, our Best Buy is still open. I go there. Okay, All but right. uh, but yes, there are other uh, very many uh, empty big buildings. A, a, like a Toys R Us. A Toys a R Us that maybe closed a, down? I think there's a Marshalls. Perfect. For sure. There is a Toys R Us in Richmond that closed down, definitely. But yeah, and then, you know, we do actually have studio space in Vallejo on Mare Island, but like, I don't want to, like, that's like, I don't want to spend extra money if I don't have to. But like, I've, I've heard that the, the government in Vallejo is like super cool. Like all the city townspeople are like, you know, the townspeople. Well, you know, like all the city folk, the people in charge of things, they're uh-huh. all super rah-rah movies, you know? So I feel like I got to go down and meet these people and just be like, yo, I live here. I'm a filmmaker. Like, I want to make movies here. Like, how can we do this under the budgets I have? Is this possible? You know, do I have to be a Zootrope movie to shoot at Mare Island? Yeah. Or <laughs> or can I just be little old me, you know? Because that was a, a movie that shot here last year that actually went to Sundance. Uh, oh, wow. Which is pretty cool that I worked on a little bit, which is really fun. That is amazing. So, yeah, I hope they got my credit in there. I don't, I don't know. It, it's, <laughs> it sounds like the, the wonderful people of Vallejo are just can't wait to support 
filmmakers. And do you know what our so. audience could do to support us? Oh, what's that, Eric? They could go to patreon.com forward slash MMIH podcast and, and give to the show. Uh, it'd be fantastic. This is how we make the show possible. So if you go online, go to our Patreon, you can give us a couple of bucks. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. That money, of course, goes uh, majority to our editor, Jeff, who do, does a wonderful job for us. But we do a lot with a little. And so every little bit that you give to us absolutely helps us out. And don't forget to check out Jambox.io, which is a new royalty-free music and sound effects company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, or global brands like DJI. They even offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is pretty awesome. So, without any more delay, here's our chit-chat with David Lawson Jr. David, can you give us the elevator pitch for Something in the Dirt? Yeah, Something in the Dirt is about two neighbors who notice something unnatural happening in one of their apartments and decide to document it as a way to escape what has become a very mundane, unpleasurable existence. How many days did you shoot the film? We did 20 days of principal photography, and then we did a couple of days of like a second unit that was most of the, the inserts that you see as like stock footage. We shot most of that stock footage practically. And then I think we shot one day after that, that was just fun Easter egg, Easter egg like this exists within this, this universe that the internet has called the shitty Carl cinematic universe that Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead have created. And so we did a whole day that was just kind of pickups for Easter eggs in the movie. Writing down shitty Carl. Okay. Well, tell us what you could talk about. Tell us what you're allowed to say with regard to the budget. Well, I mean, I, I can kind of give you an idea in the fact that the three of us were the only people on set. This was filmed in pre-vaccine pandemic. So obviously we, we, we've done some bigger budget stuff. Synchronic is, is a couple million, you know, uh, and then we had another project that was in that, you know, in that range that was uh, the greenlit when the pandemic hit and we sat around, you know, ready to go with that movie. And then eventually we realized that that timeline that we had in our head, I think as, as filmmakers, as we all had when that early, those early days of the pandemic, we're like, oh yeah, this will be like six months and then we'll be back at it was a little bit naive. And so we kind of started reapproaching what our, what our strategy was going to be. And, and if you know anything about rustic and kind of like our genesis is we're the, the three of us are very multi, multi-talented individuals who wear a lot of hats on set. And so we were like, well, how how small can we make this? How how many people do we need? And we kind of got to the point where it's like, oh, we might be able to just make a whole movie with just the three of us on set, having art department drop stuff off to us, and then having a post team that was uh, also remote, you know, for safety. How was the project first, like, conceived? Like, how did you guys come up with the idea to do this movie? Like, was it something that was born out of the pandemic, or was it something that kind of existed before then? It, the movie itself did not exist before then, but a lot of the themes that we explored were kind of, were taken from a bunch of unproduced scripts that we have lying around. And so... We obviously were like, oh, well, what do we have access to? It's like, well, do we have access to Justin's apartment and Aaron's apartment? And we can just go run around Los Angeles because it's just going to be three of us. And so that was kind of the the framework. Some of our smaller movies are, are kind of written that way, especially when it's with Justin. It's like written very specifically like, what do we have access to? Okay, cool. Let's build off of that. And he kind of goes and creates these phenomenal worlds. After Midnight was the same way. Actually, She Dies Tomorrow was the same way as well, you know, where... 
uh, Amy Simons was like, well, we have my house and we're going to shoot some of it in my house. And then we just started going from there and started building on it. Okay. That's really cool. <sighs> All right. How long did you spend working on the film from coming up with those ideas until it's released? Like what was the duration, complete duration? It's funny because normally our, our like kind of, you know, the, the, the pre, uh, even the pre prep mode is normally longer than it was on this one. I think we kind of came up with the idea of, of shooting something in July and we shot this in October. So that was a really, that was that's of 2020, correct? Quick. Yeah, 2020. And that was, that's relatively quick in terms of, you know, from not even having a script to going to camera, at least for us, you know, usually takes us four times that long just to find money. Uh, and then the, the post process was extended out a little bit, partially because of the the nature of, of the film. It's a, it's a mockumentary that has kind of a lot of loose threads and a little bit all over the place. So the edit took a, a while. Also, Justin and Aaron were directing a couple episodes of Moon Knight at the same time that we were going through posts. So they were they were over there. Uh, they were over in Europe working and we were all were working remotely. So that just kind of slowed down the whole process. I didn't answer the question. <laughs> Hold on. I'm doing, I'm doing math right now. About two and a half years, two and a half years, which is, again, that's kind of short for us. Normally, I when I sign on to a project, I, I in my head I make it like a, it's like a four year commitment, easy. If you could change one thing about the movie in, in any way whatsoever, if it's like the final outcome, like something happening at the process, if there's like one thing you you could change, what would that be? And that's such a good question. I don't, I don't, I mean, that's a man. Jeff is going to have a nice long pause <laughs> here. Jeff, cut this pause down, please, because oh, he does it automatically he has a, a yeah, pause no, eliminator a, that is that's a i don't it's funny because you know there's always there's always like things and quirks and stuff that i would i would change but specifically on this one it, this is this is i don't know that any film is ever going to kind of take the place as far as favorite film for me as this one because just because of when it was made and how it was made and everything surrounding it you know i hadn't justin and aaron and i are often in the same room we're all really good friends up until recently justin and aaron lived in this the the walk from john's apartment to levi's apartment is the walk from aaron's apartment to justin's apartment so like we're <laughs> always together as a team and the pandemic was the first time that we weren't able to do that and so this was like our first time together in the same room since before the pandemic started and so like there's a lot of it's it's really special it has a very special place in my memory so i don't know that i'd change anything yeah it was great nice. it, was, it was literally i don't know can i can i say that i would change us winning indie spirit awards <laughs> yeah you can say that that's it i mean you know even 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 just getting nominated and getting to go was really cool so would have been nice to win but the cathedral's a wonderful film so i wasn't upset <laughs> Wasn't that upset? I was a little. That's upset. funny. <laughs> Just looking at Rustic Film's website and hearing you talk about Justin and Aaron, I there seems to be kind of. I mean, I understand you're a team of three, but there seems to be this kind of separation of the Justin Aaron team and then the David Lawson producer entity. I don't know if this is purposeful or not, but can you talk a little bit about how you? describe your relationships with your teammate and how you the optics of what of, of all that does that is that true yeah no i mean it's it, it, yeah no it's a it's a complicated answer because obviously like they're a directing team that has you know done stuff with marvel that that i wasn't a part of but anything that we run through rustic is produced by the three of us so it's uh they operate as producers on their films they also operate as producers on any projects that we bring in look i'm i'm one of the most blessed people in the universe because they are insanely smart and insanely good directors but they're also really 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 talented producers so it just kind of it just kind of works i I don't 
I don't know. I, I, it is weird because people are like, oh, you just produce for Justin Aaron. I was like, no, we do other things too. It's just harder to get some of those other things going sometimes. Uh, but we have a whole whole slate of projects that will come out this year or be finished this year rather of other with other collaborators that we've been working with. And, and just to that point, like I'm curious, like how do you select the projects that you work on? Like, is it all just based on your like, you know, film friend, friend group or do you get pitched solicited ideas or do you go out to seek certain people to work with? Like, how does it come together? A little bit of yes is the answer to that. I mean, you know, uh, sometimes I like I, I get a lot of scripts sent to me. I rarely, if they're sent cold, I, it rarely is something that'll grab my attention, mostly because I have so many things on my plate already that haven't been produced that I'm just like, I don't have time to push. I don't have hands for another boulder to push, <laughs> to push up the hill. But, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have nice, robust film festival runs with every one of our films, uh, even the non Justin and Aaron ones. And so we've been able to go around and I've been able to meet a bunch of filmmakers that I really get along with. That's kind of where it starts for me always is uh, like, you know, if you poked around the website, I'm sure you saw make movies with friends. It's kind of like kind of a joke, but it's also not at all a joke. You know, I don't need to be best friends with the, the directors, but it is unlikely that we will ever produce something for somebody that we don't call a friend because it, it's, it's that, that relationship and in, in, at least how I do it becomes too intimate of a relationship in terms of just like, I need to make sure that I can stand being not only in the same room as that person, but also like honest and the best version of myself and vulnerable and in the same way the director should feel that. And I don't think, I don't, I'm sure you can do it if you're not friends. I just don't personally know how to do it. So I don't. Are you a unicorn? Like, are you one of the very few people out there in the world who wants to just produce and that's their main goal in life. And can you talk a little bit about your origin coming to finding that if that is an accurate presumption? Yeah, it's funny because that is what Justin and Aaron call me. Oh, yeah, cool. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want, I literally, it's not in me to kind of do anything else, at least within this business. And, and a lot of it is just because of how my brain works. Uh, I, I, I've i always kind of grown up loving art, you know, whether that be going to a museum or listening to music or watching movies. I grew up as a blockbuster kid, but I'm just not good at creating it. I'm, I've tried all of them. Like I've tried to draw and make music and paint and I'm terrible. I'm just awful at all of them. Producing is a way that makes sense for my brain to help create art. Um, so it's kind of the only thing I want to do. A buddy of mine, so out, out of high High school, I went into the military where I met my best friend, Mike Dunker, and we went to college together. And he was like, I want to be a writer director. And I was like, cool, I guess I'll learn how to be a producer. And then I dropped out of college and moved out to Los Angeles. And that's started as a PA the next week. Nice. So Liz has a question written down here, which I love, but it's it's basically like, what's the asshole test when you hear a first pitch from a, from a filmmaker or about any project? But like, is that, does it happen kind of before you even get to the pitching process? Because you're, you're working with yeah. people who you want to be friends with. So you kind of just get along with them and then you kind of weed out those problems before you even talk about something. Yeah. My, I mean, it's funny because I think everybody kind of does, everybody does like networking a little differently. I, I very rarely go to either a film festival or a market or an event with like an agenda in in mind. Like I don't, uh, every once in a while I'll be like, okay, I know this person's going to be here and I really want to meet them for just whatever reason. It, that never works, by the way, ever, under any <laughs> circumstance, like ever. So I've learned to just kind of go and make friends. And, you know, if then down the road, it makes sense for us to kind of collaborate on something cool, or if I can help them out in any way, 
or just be a sounding board. That's cool. So yeah, long before I ever even hear a pitch, uh, I've kind of weeded out the people that I wouldn't consider working with like long before that process ever happens. Yeah. And we, I, we have a very strict no assholes policy. I, I don't, and that goes like directors, but also, you know, below the line, especially AD. I, having that background and that kind of skill set, I've, I've AD'd several of our films. I, I have zero tolerance for, for yellers or disrespectful people. Like that's just, I, that is one thing that makes my blood boil. Are there other specific red flags you could mention? I was just thinking about Minette Louie wrote on Twitter the other day about background checks for crew members and how we should bet because the Kevin Iwashina news just came out and like mm. though i think that's been an ether for a while for what it's worth kevin Iwashina is um one of the co-founders of preferred content and then now the fifth season but has just been named an abuser <laughs> so fun oh just giving some context to the question is there i always look for ego like when i'm looking for assholes is there something mm-hmm. that you're kind of centering on or focusing on in your asshole test i i don't know if there's like a thing i, I it's a what i what i kind of learned early in this business is that you can it's it's usually a gut thing like it just it's a feeling and i think that that goes to that as well um where you're just like oh yeah that just doesn't that, there's just something that doesn't feel right about that person and you can usually tell pretty quickly. Yeah. And I, I usually try to try to weed those out as early as, as possible, because sometimes it gets to a point where you're like, oh, man, that, you know, that slipped by and you then have to deal with it after the fact. And that's just way more complicated than dealing with it up front. I like the idea of a background check, but I also think that like that can be tough because it's uh, a lot of, you know, within our industry has gone unsaid a lot. And so it's like even even those things wouldn't wouldn't pop up. Um, but I have, you know, my, my gut's been fairly accurate to me in the past. So I kind of kind of tend to just trust that. So I really want to get into something that you'd said right before we started recording, which was like, you know, I was just thinking over the weekend, like I should just, you know, quit filmmaking and become, you know, work for the post office or something. And like the reason why that really resonated with me is because I've said that multiple times over my my life as a filmmaker, like, oh, I should just go back to delivering pizzas or work at a deli. That would be fun. Like this way better than working in film or whatever. And so just wanted to kind of hear more about that. Like, was it because of a certain thing that happened? Was it just because it was hard? You're having a hard time getting your next movie made? Like what made that emotion kind of come up? I mean, it's, look, it's, this is, uh, especially where we are in the business right now, right? Like everything, it, it feels like everybody is in this, this perpetual state of terrified to lose their job, terrified to lose money, terrified to what the market's going to look like in six months. And it, you know, this tends to, it feels like it's like a, a rolling thing where it's like, it started six years ago and just kind of hasn't stopped. Uh, it's just gotten worse or better, <laughs> but it's never gone away. Yeah. And it's just like, ah, uh, you know, it's, it's being an indie producer, especially is stressful because in, in at least kind of how I view it is like, yeah. Or could you make movies where it's like, oh yeah, clearly that makes money. Cause you put X on the poster, Y on the poster, boom, sell it internationally. Sure. It's just not how that's not something that interests me. It's not a, a model that that I find interesting. And for the most part, films that I find interesting and, and we find interesting at Rustic as a team tend to be a little bit harder to place into a box, which means maybe the market isn't quite as robust for it. But we always make money on our movies because we make sure to keep them. You know, we make them with a with a kind of a fiscal mind as well. But it's one of those things where it's just like. God, there's just got to be a less stressful way to live life, you know, <laughs> just constantly. <laughs> this weekend was bad. I, I, I joked, but it also wasn't a joke. Like, I was, I was very seriously like, I guess I could just go work at the post office. Like, 
I don't know. <laughs> it seems like it seems like yeah. I'm sure people will hate me, but I think I just, at the end of the day, you just go home and you don't care. You're like yeah, angry customer. You get to walk a lot today. in the post office. Walk. Yeah. Like there's yeah. a lot of outdoor fresh yeah. air. I mean. Yeah. It's nothing to I, I I'm on board. Yeah, right. I also I also thought that like opening up I could like buy a taco like cart and then move to Italy <laughs> and I could sell tacos in Italy because I feel like I could make a killing. Like nobody's doing that, right? Like it's all Italian food. But like I lived there for two months when we shot spring, and the only thing I really wanted was like some Indian food. And they didn't have that. It was just all this really great Italian food, which is great. But after like two months, I was like, I'd really like a taco. (laughs) But looking at the films that you put out at Rustic, I mean, again, I'm going to make an assumption. You please, please correct me. Is there seems to be a lot of high concept ideas? Is that is that purposeful? And is that also part of the model? that has contributed to your success, the financial success of these titles? I mean, I think, yes, it's purposeful in in the sense that like, you know, we talked, it, it's you're, you're on a project for many years. I have ADD. I need a project that's going to hold my interest for four years, frankly, or I'm going to get bored with it and s- stop paying attention. So it, it has to usually, it tends to be something that's a little bit heavier that I have to think about. I always kind of like Arrival to me is, this is a perfect film. Like I just love that movie because of the way it made me feel and the way it made me think. I still think about that movie once a day like leaving that and how i felt after i left that movie and so yeah that's it's i think it also part of it is is that has contributed to our success we're also fairly good at making movies so execution also is part of it and then frankly luck is a big part of it because it's you know i've I've had friends that have made phenomenal movies that just for some reason didn't didn't find their 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 little niche in the marketplace and didn't do well you're like that doesn't make any sense at all that movie was brilliant which you know then leads my to go maybe i should just deliver letters <laughs> so so you've made 14 features give or take just looking through your imdb what what have you learned about from all those movies and like i guess that's too broad of a question let me narrow it down like what do you think's a factor to like having those 14 movies get made where like the other like you know x amount of movies that you you have tried to make that haven't gotten made like what what allowed those to succeed and get off the ground. Part of it is part of it is like perseverance, just not letting a project die. And then part of it is again is just dumb luck uh, and just like finding the right collaborator, the right, you know, just boom, it just happened to be the right moment. And it's like I seem like, okay, here we go. We're off to the races. It's funny because you know, we always have a collection of movies that we're we're pushing up the hill. And I never know which is going to be the next one because there's no answer to that. It's like I'm it all it takes is somebody to get interested in a project and then it's like boom okay cool that one's off to the races and it's not really too much you can do to stop it but i wish i could tell you what it was because if i could then i could duplicate it instead of just sitting around my office banging my head against the wall i'm looking at the cast of she dies tomorrow and it's like literally like indie film royalty like a tucker oddly amy simitz um caitlin shile i can I, these are three names that i really fuck up every time i say so you you like feel <laughs> (laughs) free but like these are like cream of the cream and then i'm hearing you know this is going to be a larger question for you apologies and and warnings i'm hearing you know you make money in all these movies i'm hearing you're in demand it's like you've tapped into this zeitgeist thing or that's from my point of view that's what it looks like right so it's like what are the what are the beginnings of tapping into that true indie film world is it just was it the first feature just kind of avalanche the success a little bit or can you attribute it to 
some other networking or festival opportunities you've had? Ooh, that is, yeah, that's a that's a that's a big broad one. I think the 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 biggest thing is is kind of just comes from my sensibilities and, and our sensibilities as a team at Rustic, and that like what we are interested in is usually not necessarily art house films, but like something that is a little bit more difficult to concept than you know your blockbuster. Like that's just not stuff that generally interests us. So if you are willing to kind of slum it in the indie world for long enough and you're you know decent at your job you can kind of carve out this little like this little section and that's not to say that you know thank you for saying saying very kind things i don't ever feel successful i'm always i'm always like weird weirded out when anybody has ever like seen our films it's still just like baffles me like there's like seven people on reddit that have seen our movies (laughs) they love it they really love it but like yeah i think i think it just kind of comes from just being too stupid to stop (laughs) like a little bit and i i like telling interesting stories and i I find that by the way that that cast is all amy simons she she literally you know she's been in the in the in the business forever as as an actor and as a director and so she just called up all of the people that have said they wanted to be in her movies over the years and just called them up the day before and was like hey we're shooting this thing do you want to come and she would come and then she would write the scene for them it was insane that whole process was was about as crazy as it gets it was very there are there isn't another director that i know personally that could have uh delivered the movie that she did i guess that one's that one is extremely special so i'm just curious and maybe this is too of a direct more personal question but like i want to know about like how you survive uh, as a producer like are you like taking a rate for every movie that you produce and like, that's how you pay the bills. Or are you getting a fee, you know, from the production company for producing a number of movies? Like, is it kind of a combination of both? Like, how are you keeping the lights on as a freelance producer? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I was like looking over your kind of the, the pre-questions. So it's like, how, do, how long did it take you to, to, to be able to maintain a, you know, <laughs> like this is your primary source of income for a long time. I was, I produced commercial content. So up until I want to say synchronic, I was doing both. And that's a really hard kind of existence because it's like two full-time jobs. Since then, it's kind of been a combination of everything. Like it's like we're fortunate that our, our movies make money. So every year, you know, I get a little bit of money from from movies that we did in the past. There'll always be something coming up. I don't know. It's a whole combination of things. I'm not quite sure actually, but somehow the universe keeps giving me just enough money to not start working at the post office. <laughs> nice. Some poor USPS worker is gonna be listening post to this. And, but they're going to be swinging plugged. back and forth. They're like, I'm proud. Oh, no, I don't feel so good about my job. Like, they're just <laughs> no, they, vacillating. They feel great. That's like literally my first stop after I, okay. if I hang up my producing right. shoes. I'm Thanks go for going for the back. Office. Thanks for yeah, swinging no, back. It's, it's a great job. I could have said any job in the world. <laughs> I don't know if this is a question. This might just be me being um, a Jewish mother and it coming out in the form of a statement with a with an upward inflection. But your directors are on your key art. Your directors are really focused on on your website. You're a major part of the success of this company. What, what is your decision not to put you on the key? Like, why are you not on the key art? Why are you not trying to be out in front too? Is that important to you? Do you care? Like, I'm, okay, go on. 
Yeah. I mean, are, are that those kind of decisions for us are never driven by ego. It's always like what makes sense? Like what makes sense? It's like, obviously, like you, Justin and Aaron have been the leads in our movies. Jeremy Gardner was the lead. You know, so it's like, yeah, of course they would be in the key art. Like that makes sense. I just don't care. Honestly, like it's I, I, I think that a lot of being a producer is kind of checking your ego at the door because you're never going to get anywhere near the acknowledgement that you should. But that's um, what I'm unless saying. You win, unless you win an Oscar, that's like the one you get to catch. Like that's the one you get to hold. That's it. Other than that, it's you know you're 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 not going to be mentioned in the review. You know, it's it's just like that's just kind of part of the game. You just have to accept that or find a different job. But it doesn't bother. You're saying it doesn't bother you, I guess. I'm saying I, I have this I have this uh, fun little, it's like, when your trash is overflowing, treat it like your feelings and push it down. <laughs> <laughs> so it nice. does bother you. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it, it doesn't bother me. Like, I mean, would it be cool? Yeah. Does it bother me enough to like do anything about it? No, I'll just move on. Like it, at the end of the day, there's not a director that I've worked with that wouldn't do another movie with me. And that it, to me is the praise that I need. Mm. Nice. God, what the fuck was the question? Oh, I had such a good question. Liz, can oh, you go for a second? Yeah, yeah. So well, I can think of this other question. Yeah. So I'm just pushing more on that issue, but I won't make you even more uncomfortable. I'll, I'll go no, you're good. Like, to a you're little good. splinter <laughs> out. Do you have representation as a producer? Has that ever been thought of something that you want to do or does that seem unnecessary? We it has been something that we as a team has discussed. Do we want to like bring on somebody to to represent Rustic? Do we want to bring on somebody to represent me? Obviously, Justin and Aaron have have representation as directors. It's honestly it's it's part of it's not necessary, and part of it's I don't really want to be beholden to anybody. Like I don't make enough money for me. Like I mean I do, but like I'm not going to give another percentage out for somebody else to give me a script. Like I have too many of those. I have, I counted the other day. I have 127 unread scripts on my on my desktop. Oh my right god. Now. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. If I just read scripts as the only thing I did, it would be like three months of my life. Are you going to read all of them? Do you think? No, 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 no. There's I have a, I have a filing system. So there's a to read file and then there's an actually to read folder. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's more that are just on the desktop and kind of the running joke is like if it ends up in one of those folders, it's never going to get touched. I do that for my to-do list. I have a to-do list and then it's like, no, actually do this. Actually, yeah, no, <laughs> yes. actually do this. But even my actually to read is uh, honestly, I when people send me stuff to read now, I'm like, I, I'm very honest. I'm like, look, I'm probably never going to read this uh. unless it's somebody coming from somebody who I really want to work with. And it's like, you know, they give me an interesting elevator pitch. And I'm like, God damn it. Because now I've like, now I've just signed up for another life sentence. That was kind of my next question. Like what, like what is it about a project that like gets it pushed above the other things on your to-do list? Is it just like a people that, you know, who you're like, Oh, I, I really need to like read this for this person that have done me a lot of favors or is it, Oh, cause I really want to work with somebody who's involved in the project. Like, are there other factors that like kind of push a project up to the top of the heap? I mean, the first thing is like, do I see, do, do I see this like working within what we've kind of built at Rustic? Cause that's, those are like always my focus is like, is like, do, does it make sense? And we have a system here at the company where it's like all three of us have to agree on a movie or we don't do it as a company. Nice. Like, obviously we can go do it individually if we wanted to, but like all three of us have to say unequivocally yes, or we just don't pursue it. So it, it's kind of first I have that in mind is like, okay, cool. Do I see this as, as something that fits with what we do? 
and beyond like fits with what we do, it's like, can we find financing for it? Does it make sense? Like, is it going to be one of those things where I'm like, yeah, this is a cool project, but I don't know how it gets made. And that's like, I try to kind of avoid having too many of those on my desk at any one time because it's just like, I don't know, that just gets depressing. Like, I, I like to be able to see a clear vision. And I, I, I think that there are a lot of producers and companies out there who like to attach themselves to projects, but don't actually have a plan to figure out how to get that movie made. I don't ever want us to be that. Like, I don't ever w- want a director to be like, oh my God, these guys have just been sitting on our project and haven't done, you know what I mean? It's like that, yeah. that to me would actually bother me. Like, you want to talk about things that would actually bother me? People in the world having that impression of our company would actually bother me. You said earlier, you know, you could go and you attach these kind of tokenized actors and do pre-sales and finance films that way, you know, straight capital G genre films, whatever. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, and then... Um, hey, hey. <laughs> wow, I love those films. Uh, so I'm curious in terms of your plans for creative financing as an alternate, do you lean more on private equity or do you lean more on these kind of more traditional financiers or like if you're willing to talk about who makes up the majority of the financing structure of your films? Is it individuals or is it companies? It's a kind of it's a it's a, it's a spaghetti, like the throw in the spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks method. Yeah, there's no set way that any of our films have been financed. It's kind of all over the place a little bit. Every once in a while, we have enough money in the Rust account to just finance one. That's kind of our preferred method. Again, because, you know, we've been betting on ourselves so, so far and it's been re- working out really well. And so we kind of try to do that whenever we can. Uh, and then if we need to bring in, which, you know, obviously not a ton of money, but also we don't have any overhead. It's just the three of us in this tiny little office. Like I can almost touch all four walls and that's like <laughs> our overhead. And I think like an Adobe subscription and some like, you know, rant Dropbox or whatever. But like we don't have huge, we don't, you know, we don't eventually one day we'll need to have a staff, but we don't even have a staff. It's just the three of us. So it's like if the three of us can afford to live, then you know, it's a really low overhead company. So we can kind of get a little bit more flexible, get a little bit more diverse into who we kind of go after, but it's not one set way. I wish it was. We're kind of flirting with the idea of putting together a film fund so that people can just kind of get out of our way altogether. Cause that'd be great. Honestly, like that's, that's the dream, but I feel like that's the dream for everybody. It's like, yeah, just give me money and let me make you money back. Uh, it's like, yeah, course well, like but not everyone movie. has your track record so you have kind yeah. of a strong pitch yeah i mean it's it's something that we're kind of tossing around out there into the into the into the ether right now because you know again it's we are aware that like look we've we've done seven movies at a, as a company all seven of them have premiered at sundance south by tribeca or toronto they've all sold wow. to major distributors in the u.s they've all had theatrical distribution it's like there aren't too many boutique production companies, especially of our size, that can kind of boast that track record. Eventually, that's going to stop. So we're trying to get this film fun before that. <laughs> before whatever number it is. I feel sorry for the film, first film that doesn't like hit that. Hit, it's going to be sad because they're going to... It's, it's like an... Un, I don't know. It's it's an unattainable goal to keep forever. But we've been really fortunate in that programmers and, and distributors have kind of latched on to what we're doing in, in, in that kind of way. So there's a couple of things that people have been like telling me about like oh all right we can raise the money for this movie through product placement or through sponsorships and i have never had any success through sponsorships or product placement or heard of it for indie movies like that seems like it's 
a much bigger budget movie thing, but I was just curious, like, have you ever had any success with either of those like product placement or sponsorships? I haven't personally, but I also like, I think part of it is like, I, I don't do a movie. I haven't done any films that kind of like make sense. It's also like, I don't know who's going to play pay product placement for like an indie feature that not, a, you know, it's like, you, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, it's like, you're doing it at a budget. So it's, it's, you're, you're, you know, even if you, let's say you knock it out of the park, like the endless did really, really well, got seen by a lot of people. But even that it's like, when people are like, Oh, I haven't seen the endless. I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense, you know. It's like that, <laughs> that 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 tracks. Most people haven't seen it. It's not a big blockbuster, so like it wouldn't make sense. And that's like a great like that was a you know from from indie film standards, especially the kind of movies that we make. Like that was a big success, and so I wouldn't if I was a company, I wouldn't give me money. It's kind of how I it's kind of how I look at it for like product placement. If I was an investor, I would give me money all day. <laughs> right, right, right. Me too. Investors, did you hear that? Just. <laughs> that listen to this podcast there's so just many investors money. that just listen <laughs> number one in our just audience like demographic is just investor it's like the all four quadrants <laughs> for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, Ark, I, I think we're ready to move to the final six. Do you have any final no, no, questions? I do. Okay. I, I remember do my, 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 yeah. my question is, is this a question I've asked every producer that we have on the show and everyone has a different answer? The main thing that directors who reach out to me for asking questions, the main thing they ask is how do you find your producer? How do you find a producer? So, you know, you've kind of explained your process, but like what advice would you have for like, you know, young filmmakers, directors who are just starting, maybe they've made one movie, maybe they've made no movies and they're trying to find a producer. Like what advice would you have for them? Oof, that's a, I wish I could clone myself. Cause I would. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that the the key thing for anybody starting out in the business, especially if you're looking for, and this goes beyond just producer, it goes to your whole team. Find people that are at your level that are that are growing. Like find people that you can grow with together. Resolution was was all of our first films. Like it was my first film, Justin's first film as a director, Aaron's first film as a director. You know, and so we we met, got along, did it, and it worked. And we were like, okay, cool, this is the thing that we can do. I think we did three movies before we even started a company together. But it, I. I think that that is the most important thing. It's like, and as I say this, I'm like, I'm literally about to say something and then also contradict it. It's very unlikely that like I will come and do somebody's first feature. You know what I mean? It's like, I've just been doing this too long. It's, it's, I have, that being said, I have a movie set up this year with the first time filmmaking team. And so I'm already a liar. Uh, but it just happened <laughs> to be a project that I was like, oh my God, this is like exactly what we do, which never happens. Like people send us stuff all the time that's like, oh my God, this is like so like something that rustic does and i'm like it's not like it's good but it's not like you know what i mean like, this is like a i don't know how to say that politely i haven't figured that out but this one was like so exactly in our wheelhouse uh that they weren't even sending it to me they were sending it to me because it had a lot of similarities to some of the structural stuff of something in the dirt and so they wanted to talk through it but i just loved it so much i flipped it to justin and aaron and all three of us kind of fell in love with it so now we're producing it oh wow 
Yeah. So I don't know. Get ready to hear a lot of no's and find the people that you can grow with together. I don't know. Find somebody that's going to be honest with you. Like that's one of the things that I love about the the relationship that I've cultivated with Justin and Aaron is that the three of us have a have a we can communicate honestly to each other, even when it's something that one of us doesn't want to hear. You know, it's like, hey, like this is something we have to say. But because we're friends, we know that that's not from it's not coming from any place beyond like trying to make the best project. There's no like weird animosity. There's no weird vendetta or anything like that that can can come with, you know, working with people that you're not so close with. Nice. Did that answer your question? I don't even know. No, it, it did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think like you gave her a real life example of like how a movie you're working on came to you, which is like, it sort of seems those the same way a lot of things happen where like you're just, you know, you know somebody, they, you know, have a way to get a project to you, ask for advice, and then magic happens and there you go, you know? Like um I, I, I do think like part of the reason that I that I even wanted to do it was because they didn't ask me to produce it. <laughs> like, it's like a weird thing where it's you know what I mean? It's like they weren't coming to me with that. They were coming. Were they to me negging you a little bit? Were they like you're not no. good enough for this? No, 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 no. No, no. <laughs> no when they uh when they when when I floated the idea, they were ecstatic about it because they're huge fans. And so, but it was it was just one of those things where I don't think they thought it was like necessarily a possibility. And then I was like, well, anything's a possibility when you're stupid. So here we are. <laughs> so here we are. Well, on that note, what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? Oh, man. The first one that I made or the first one that got seen? Those are you can, different. how whichever one you want to talk about, whichever's the better story. I'll talk about Resolution because I, I, I love that one. I feel so... Have you, have you two seen Resolution? I have not. No. Yeah. Again, there's like six people. I've seen it. I've so, seen Spring. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Spring. I'll send, I'll, send, I'll send you a link for Resolution. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it was one of those moments. Where, again, it was Justin and Aaron and Mai's first movie working as a team. We were, we, Justin and I had been working together in the commercial space for like three years. Aaron and I had just met like maybe eight months prior, but we'd all become friends at that point. And we were sitting around after we finished making the movie around this fireplace that it had where the camp was had. And we were like, oh man, it may never like get to be like this again, like this kind of small, intimate crew and making movies with like, you know, not answering to anybody and just doing our own thing. And then we've gotten to do it so many times since it was like, it's funny because it's like this, this idea and this like purity that was felt at the end of making that first movie is something that we we've kept within our company and and kept being able to go back to successfully. So I, I will always hold it with a like a really fond memory. Plus, it's a good movie. Like looking back, it's just like, oh wow, we made that with like eight people and the money in Justin's bank account. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Oh, the best. So I'll give it as a producer. And there was a producer that that I met a while ago and they were like, every bit of communication that you have with someone, every email, every text, every phone call, everything from the start of, of there being a project will color how that person views the project. And that's really kind of changed how I, again, it's not like, it not that's not groundbreaking, but it is interesting to think about. It's like every text, it's like, you know, whether I'm upset about something or not, how I verbalize that or how I communicate that affects how that person views not not only me, but also the project and how they view coming to work and how they view their existence within this industry. And that's something that as a, as a leader, is there somebody in a leadership position, you have to, you have to take account of that, that your how you communicate matters. And if you are frustrated, expressing that frustration in a way that is helpful is smarter. I love that. I do. What's some really bad advice that you've heard or, or dispensed or experienced? Become a producer. <laughs> That's <laughs> terrible advice. Don't do that. Just run. Cool, cool. 
Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? You know, it's it's funny because we some of my goals are also kind of tied into like company goals, and like my goals become company goals, or my, you know, they're or they become goals that the three of us kind of do together. And and my goal ultimately is to never have a real job to get to kind of do this for my life. And that, that would be pretty sweet as a company. We've, we've talked about, you know, there's this idea that you should always be making bigger movies, right? Bigger movies, bigger budgets, bigger, 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 bigger. And what we realized in doing something in the dirt, it's like, I, I don't know that I necessarily buy into that anymore. Like, I, I'd like to make money and I'd like to do it comfortably, but I don't know that I need to like make a $15 million movie. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I don't know that this idea of like bigger, bigger, bigger is kind of something that I've done away with in my head where it's like, no, let's just take a blue collar approach to a pretty cool job. And if you do it, if you do it with respect and, and, and honesty, then maybe you can do it forever. Quick aside. I said something similar to that, to a mentorship program that I was in, just my lack of interest in larger budget projects and no. they told me i was afraid <laughs> and that was like the their bomb shit like whoop she's afraid are you so you're not afraid okay i see not, not, even, not even <laughs> honestly do you know what it is more than like it's, it's not it's no part fear because i threw that away a long time ago it's more i just don't have the patience to sit around for those movies to get made this, it takes forever and i'm yes. just not interested i'm i you know there's that old adage i'm a filmmaker not a meeting taker like not trying to sit around and fucking do meetings all day and fucking work for four years before anybody even reads the script. I don't know. It's just when we were, you know, several times we've, we've just been like, we don't, as a company, we've been like, we don't need anybody to tell us we're allowed to make a movie. Let's just go make a movie. And we've done it and it's been successful. It's like, I'm, I don't know. I just, maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, not afraid, but definitely impatient. That's okay. And for the record, you don't sound afraid. And Ed, for the record, I, I don't. I don't think I am at least anymore either. <laughs> but, but, but having like a little bit of fear is healthy. Like that's good. That means you care about something. Like it's. it's but I understand what you're saying. That, but the, that like wasn't the armchair the, psychiatrist thing of like that, you must that, be. That was not how yeah. that sentence was intended. So. Yeah. <laughs> If you could go back in time, any time that you were living, what's the piece of advice you would give yourself? It's silly because I just don't know that I would change anything. Like, I like I, I feel like giving myself any piece of advice may change because like, that butterfly effect thing. And then I know that's a cop out answer, but like, <laughs> I, there's like a there's like a fun part of me that would love to go back to like 14 year old Dave and be like, yo, this is good. You have no idea the cool shit you're gonna get to do with your life, like. I don't know. That would be kind of cool. But even then, I'd be like, oh, and then I'd just be waiting for that cool shit instead of realizing that the cool shit is happening. And then last question, is making movies hard? Fuck yeah. It's, it's like the hardest, dumbest thing anybody's ever done. Constantly, like literally on my sla on our Slack channel this weekend. I was like, so why do we even do this? <laughs> like, like, it's fucking <laughs> silly. Why do we even do this? Yeah, no, that was why, like, as soon as somebody turned me on to a podcast, I was like, absolutely would love to jump on that. I would love <laughs> to talk about how much I hate this industry, but it's like heroin. <laughs> I just can't stop. You survived. So what, yeah, last thanks. question. Oh, double um, last question. Oh, yes, go. Oh. Yeah. Well, before we get to the real last question, I, we have like seven minutes. So I want to ask one more question I remembered. Yeah. You mentioned you're like a new father, which I'm also a new father and Liz has children and about to have another child. Congrats. Did you have to change the way you approached your work as a producer once your kid was born or was it kind of like, did you figure out a way to like keep things the same, you know, and like just make it happen somehow? There, 
no, there's no way I could have done. There's no way I could have done my job the way I did it early in my career with a kid. Like it just, it, it just would have been hard. A lot of it's been, a lot of it's been kind of rethinking how I do it. But one of the nice things is it's given me <laughs> one of the very first questions that I ask somebody is like, especially when they're, when they're pitching me a project, I'm like, okay, cool. Why is, before we even get into the pitch, before I read your script, why is it worth me missing two months of my daughter's life? Oh my God. Yes. Because if you can't answer that, then I'm out. Like it, like I, I, I have no interest in reading the script or, you know, it better be worth that because that's what you're asking at, at the very least. And people yeah. without children should ask themselves the same questions. Why is it worth anyone missing two months of their lives? Yeah. Right. <laughs> again, again, I'm just talking like when you get hard prep into shooting, like that's yeah. two months for me. And it's like, you know, you better have an answer for that because yeah, that's a, you know, I, I love getting to try my daughter off at, at preschool every day. You know, do you really, is that true? Because it's horrible, no, by no, the way. I do, no, my, my daughter loves it. She gives the best hugs. She oh, you have a good up. She gives the, okay. yeah, she, well, okay. Well, that's another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Parenting is hard. That's the next podcast. Yes. I'm sure that podcast exists. We, we, we've been talking more and more about it, you know, especially since now that I have a kid too. It's just like, yeah, it's always on our minds. Like, how do I, th- we I think you have happen? to have a partner that that is is willing to take up the slack when you go away, and that's kind of what yeah. it comes down to. And I'm I'm very fortunate, and my wife, you know, kind of I don't want to say knew what she signed up for, but it's like it's like that was the, this was always it. And it was like you know she understands that it's what I do. I, I try to do it as non disruptive as possible to our life, but you know a lot of things are out of our control. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have another question, Ulrich. I think it was just talking yeah. about the timing of the release and things like that. Oh, well, and then uh, where, where should people f- like go to find your work? Get a little plug for Rustic and your if you have social media and all that stuff. For all the socials, I think we're Rustic underscore films. I don't even know. My my personal one is uh, David Lawson Jr. Website is Rustic.film. Hold on, I got a fun little tracker on where our movies are. I literally have to keep updating this every once uh, in a while. Oh, yeah. Nice. On like... Like, where can you find our movies? Because it constantly, uh, resolution is on Tubi, Spring, She Dies Tomorrow, and Something in the Dirt are all on Hulu right now. After Midnight's on Shudder, The Endless is on Amazon. Yeah, I think that's it. If a listener, (laughs) you have so many movies. If a listener wanted to watch one of your movies, which movie should they go watch right now? Most helpful to you. As a company, oh, none of them. They're all they're, they're all in a subscription-based oh. platform okay. at this point. <laughs> Doesn't um, matter. <laughs> no, just give a torrented for all you. I don't know. Oh, but no, it, I would say it depends on what they're looking for. Spring is always the one that like is a, is a real crowd pleaser because it's it's a it's also a, a very good romance in it. The Endless is probably the one that well, Synchronic most people know about. Again, Something in the Dirt is the one I'm happy. I, I I can't answer that question. <laughs> nice. I've, I'm only having one kid, so I can always answer like, "Who's your favorite kid?" So Right. Oh. There's no competition. <laughs> exactly. It's also my least favorite kid, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber, back to the show. 
Alric, what do you remember about your talk with David? I remember one thing that he said, which was something that I took to heart really, really in a big way. Like he was saying, when you're pitching me your movie and when you're trying, when I'm trying to decide if I'm going to work on this movie or not as a producer, there is like a lot of things I want to know, but there's really one main question is why should I leave my daughter for two to three months to go make this movie? Like what, what about this movie is so special and so important that I should lose that time with my daughter that I will never get back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, like that is a great question <laughs> and that we should all have that answer. Because if you, if you are asking someone to work on your movie, like you should be able to definitively answer that question. And then, I, you know, I have a daughter who's very young too. I think some, some, somewhat close to, you know, uh, David's daughter in age. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, oh, well, that, that's the new question for me. If I'm going to make anything, if I'm going to do anything at all, like I have to ask myself, like, why would I lose, you know, any amount of time with my daughter to go make this project? You know, like, what is the reason? Like, why is it so that important? So he said a lot of great things, but that was one that I really took to heart and I thought was really important. And I mean, even if you don't have kids, it's super important to be thinking about that. Like when you're working with collaborators, because more than likely some of your collaborators will have children. And so you should be thinking about like, what is the reason that they're going to join you on your thing? Because it is your thing, really. And it it may become their thing and they'll take ownership and they'll, you know, whatever, get involved. And it'll be, a you know, the beautiful collaborative thing that filmmaking is where we all kind of share the vision and we all take ownership. But like in the beginning, especially at that stage, it is your project. So like why, like you have to get people to rally around you in a way. And sometimes it's just because it's you and they like you which is like a big part of it too. But like, if it's a stranger who doesn't know you, like even more so that you have to know, like, why is this piece of art like so important, you know? So that's my big takeaway from, from that conversation. It was really fun. Really good conversation. Oh, great. You well, haven't heard it, it yet. Like, <laughs> so, so you I, yeah, I was going to say, say I, I have no idea. I have no idea what it was. <laughs> yeah. Although from looking at your outline, there was all sorts of wonderful bullet points, like shitty Carl and asshole yeah. test which are all things i can't wait to hear about <laughs> these are notes that liz wrote down during the conversation that I rung out to her that she wanted to follow up on <laughs> <laughs> the asshole test is a that's a good one that's one that i think everyone else should also do is just make sure that you have a, a strong no assholes policy which yeah I mean, especially when you're slow budget, like you, it's ideal, like, oh, I want to work with this specific crew and these wonderful people. But there are times where you're going to just get people thrown in the mix who you don't know necessarily because that's just the way it goes with like a low budget project. But like, yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Just make sure that everyone's got the right, you know, their heart in the right place and their energy in the right place, you know, because that it really makes a big difference. Oh, there is there is nothing that will sink a ship faster than somebody who just has a, a terrible attitude. All right. Well, and moving on to another thing that is not about terrible attitudes, but about lots of fun and, and games is the game. So for everybody who, who uh, maybe be listening for the first time, the game is something that Eric invented which Liz and I immediately fell in love with. And even to the point where Eric's like, let's stop doing the game. Let's do something else. And Liz and I are like, no, no, we love the game. We want to play the game every week. It's fun. So yeah, the game is basically an indie filmmaker challenge. It's like a scenario that Eric devises or listeners sometimes devise. And it's meant to challenge us on like, what would we do in this situation? Like, oh, your actor, uh, you know, uh, decides to move to Nebraska in the middle of your shoot and you can't work with that actor anymore. 
what do you do? How do you replace that actor? Like things like that. So this week, since Eric asked me last week, the question of the week and Eric makes all the questions, but wait, he can't make the question because he has to answer a blind. That's mm-hmm. part of it. We answer it blind with no warning, no nothing. I came up with a question for this week, which I think is okay. I'm like semi proud of it. I think it could have been way better, but I think it's good. And it's very different than anything we've really talked about, I think, before, which I think is fun. So I don't know. This might be too easy, but we'll see see how you handle it. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Here is the question. You are a week into your romantic comedy shoot for your for your feature feature romantic comedy shoot. And you get to the first big set of scenes you have with your dog co-star. You have already shot one day with them in the beginning, which establishes the dog early in the movie and connects directly to the next scene that you're going to shoot with the dog. Furthermore, the dog was vetted and you got some time to rehearse with the dog and they're specifically like set and ready to shoot the scenes you have planned for the rest of the movie. The day before you start with the dog, you get a panic call from the dog trainer saying that the dog was on a commercial shoot the day before and accidentally got blasted with red and green paint and is going to have (laughs) red and green fur for the remainder of your shoot, totally breaking your continuity and everything that you'd planned, you know, with this specific dog. Do you A, write the dog out of the script and make it work without the dog? Uh, keeping in mind that the dog is like a big part of like the romance between the two leads and it's like a fun, cute thing. And it's like kind of a little bit of the soul of the movie in a lot of ways. Somehow write the dog changing color into the script, despite already having the dog established with the original fur color, the scene before, you know, so it's like a direct, like there's not a lot of room, you know, to write something in, but maybe possible. Okay. And C, shave the dog's hair to try to (laughs) minimize the color change, hoping no one will notice. Or D, other. What do you do, director? What do you do? I never in a million years would have thought about shaving the dog, but here we are. (laughs) I love that it's an option. Uh, My knee-jerk reaction, because it's a romantic comedy, I see a really fun scene where the, the dog got colored was it green and red yeah like like a, like not just one color like it was like some sort of like thing for a commercial so it's like yeah like a, a splattering of red and green you know somehow i would i my initial response is to to add is to change the script and to incorporate it into the script itself like there is you know we're with our guy let's say and he's got his dog and then the, you know he's trying to make maybe a nice present for whomever the love interest happens to be and something goes wild it goes away and there's a big explosion and suddenly he's covered in red and green and he looks over and there's a funny comedic shot of the dog that's now covered in red and green as well and maybe the rest of the shoot not only the dog is colored but also maybe our character is as well to kind of <laughs> tie the two of them together you know they're like what happened to you what happened to your dog oh my gosh you know like that could be like a fun running gag throughout <laughs> the whole thing so like that is my initial response. That's that's where I would go with it to begin with. I'm willing to bet that I mean shooting with any animal is really difficult. Get them to hit marks and everything else. Their dogs are also really expensive. A lot of filmmakers don't understand that. They're just like, oh, you just bring in a dog with a handler. Like it's super super pricey, and they can only work for a limited amount of hours. It's kind of like working with a kid. Yeah, you don't have to have a teacher on set, which is nice. So. Cutting the dog out is certainly one way to go, but I'm willing to bet 
once you make the decision as a writer to put an animal in, the animal tends to become very integral to the story. So I'm willing to bet writing the dog out altogether would probably be a pretty Herculean task. It would probably be really, really involved. So instead, I would just go ahead and incorporate the the, the die into the story itself by way of our one of our main characters. How about you? What yeah. would you do? Now, one other note about that: you also have to have the humane society, like, oh, or yeah. you know, sign off on it. And actually, in many cases, they have to be there with you on set. They have to have somebody observing. So, like, you know, in, in this scenario, you've already like paid for the humane society to be yeah. there the whole time. There's somebody on set, so I feel like you, I would be like really like, okay, like, can this work? Like, is there a world where this is going to be cool? And I think that in a lot of cases, like, it could be really cute. This colored dog and like really unique and different and special so i agree with you like i would write it in for sure and try to make it work somehow and there is definitely a way that you can make it work especially if you're only on your your second week you know going into your second week like yeah you probably have at least one other week where you could like you know find some time to to you know shoot a scene that would make this make more sense you know and tie it together so yeah that's definitely what i would do i would just like you know be adaptive adapt the situation see how we can have fun with it and make it a unique special thing because like as we all know there's so many movies being made like anything to make your movie stand out if you can make it work logically and make it fun it's gonna make your movie just that much more special so yeah totally agree good one yeah, good call not by so us. bad huh yeah that was yeah. a good one you i think you gave yourself a really hard time you did it that was a terrific one <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> I'm now interested to hear what what Liz's take would be on that. So I don't know if yeah. you can send her a text later and, and figure that out. Yeah. But what did you guys think about that? Did you like our answer? If not, you can always send a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or you can go ahead and uh, leave us a little review on iTunes. Or if you would like, as some listeners have done in the past, you can suggest a question for the game if you are so inclined. Uh, and finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at MMIH Podcast, and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. And check out the International Screenwriter Association, the ISA, an organization designed to connect writers and filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. And thanks to David Lawson Jr. for coming on the show. Thanks to Laura Reich from Vibrant Penguin for introducing us to David. And thanks to our editor, Jeff Vrymoot, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for doing our social media. California Jones! And thanks to producer Eric Toms, which is me, for being awesome. Ah, sometimes I am. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all next week. those feelings often it's like oh I, I made my first feature like uh should i just not make another one ever again and just I live a happy I life with my family is that easy yeah no that is, uh... no you have to suffer <laughs> sorry our house is a mess come on in i'm amber wallen internet comedian plant queen and host of your new favorite podcast fly on the wall okay that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast by the way like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New-
New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.